you sure you want me to do a three-hour ride and then the next day do another three-hour ride and then the next day do, you know, two hours in a gym session and the next day do, it just it blew my mind that that's what I was going to need to do to, to start, let alone, you know, be successful. Hey, hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Tan, and it's such a pleasure to have you here with me today. This show is all about human performance. Whether you're chasing your one rep max or want to show up as your best self every single day, this show is for you. I chat with athletes, experts, authors, and coaches on all the best tips, tools, and strategies so that you can perform at your best. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt, and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind, and discover your extraordinary potential. And today on the show, I chat with Paralympic gold medal paracyclist Darren Hicks. From age 10 to 29, Darren loved riding BMX, but in 2014, a motor vehicle accident changed all of that. Darren suffered severe leg and neck trauma with his right leg being amputated above the knee and his C2 vertebrae was so severely broken it required surgical fixation. But less than a year after the accident, Darren competed for the first time as a para-athlete in 2015. Darren became a two-time world champion in 2019, as well as setting a world record time in the C2 three-kilometer individual pursuit and was named as Cycling Australia's 2019 Male Road Paracyclist of the Year. He wore the green and gold at his first games at the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games, winning a silver in the men's 3000 metre individual pursuit and then gold in the C2 24 kilometre men's time trial. Darren went on to receive the Order of Australia medal for service to sport as a gold medalist for the Tokyo Paralympic Games 2020. And today we talk about the accident that changed his life his transition from riding with a prosthetic to without, the training load necessary to become the world-class paracyclist he is today, and so much more. And whilst we talk about the accident, Darren couldn't talk too much about it due to continuing court cases. At the end of the interview, after I concluded the episode, Darren and I continued to chat. And it was then that he revealed even more about his struggles in hospital after his accident. With his permission, it is included in the episode and at 10 minutes 38 is when you will hear it. It may be a trigger for some. So if you're experiencing hardship at the moment, you may want to skip two minutes from 10 minutes 38. Please know that there is help. So if you do need to talk to someone, there are some links in the show notes for you. It was a privilege chatting with Darren and sharing his story, and I hope you'll be as inspired as I am. This is Darren Hicks. Darren, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to have you. You are a three-time gold medalist, 
you've got four silvers and two bronze and one of those gold and one of those silver medals were from the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics, which I understand was a major goal of yours. So congratulations on gold at the Paralympics. Thank you very much. It's uh, there's always a goal to, to make the team, by no means that I believe I'd be capable of winning a gold, but um, you can always dream, that's for sure. And dreams come true. Who <laughs> knew? Who knew? I didn't expect it or believe it, but um, didn't stop me working, that's for sure. Yeah, well, believe it. And just recently, you've come back from the UCI Paracycling World Championships. You've come back with a bronze. How do you feel reflecting back on that and, and what do you take from that race? Uh, I'm definitely disappointed, but at the same time, I need to look at the the numbers and I did ride a really good race uh, as far as speed and power and all the data goes. I uh, just got beat on the day by a couple of better guys. So I kind of want to look at it that way, but it's also quite hard to to feel going into a race that you, you're not capable of winning or not going to come away as a champion. So I don't know. It's, a, it's still one I'm reflecting on, I think, um, and how we'll deal with it. I guess we'll, we'll come from, yeah, the next few weeks of um, going through some numbers as well as getting ready to to go to Paris for our track world champs in uh, the middle of October. So, yeah, amazing. With so I watched the replay of this race, and oh, there's okay. two things. <laughs> two things I, ha I I have a question about. The first thing is. You guys are standing at the start line for up to like five minutes or so. And I just, mm. the question I have around that is firstly, what's going through your head when you, you're having to wait and how do you compose yourself so you can get, I guess, the best start to your race? Uh, for a road race, we probably sit there for five or 10 minutes. For a TT, we actually probably sit there for more like 10 to 15 depending oh, on gosh. what time we actually get back to the start line because um for a time trial we need to get our bikes checked um so we we can't actually get the bikes checked until sort of 10 or 15 minutes before our start time but also from that point we can't leave the start area whereas road racing a little bit different the bike doesn't need to be checked um quite so scrupulous scrupulously um so yeah probably tt is a bit more um nerve-wracking i suppose in the first years anyway it was now i'm i'm a lot more comfortable i sort of trust that you know i know the process i know that you know, i don't sort of get too nervous anymore i just i know what i've got to go and do and focus on that rather than the the competition or anything else like that um and road racing is kind of i take it very seriously but it's also not my my pet event so i don't get overly stressed over it because I, I know it's a long race and lots is going to happen in the next you know two hours so we'll just let us start and um and yeah deal with things when they crop up <laughs> yeah and speaking yeah. of dealing with things as they crop up that final lap there was a breakaway and yeah. the what four or five groups firstly do you do you have a sense if that's going to happen and then yeah. when that happens you do yeah tell yeah, us about that i yeah. <laughs> did as far as things go, especially for that course, the, the climb was quite steep um, and quite short. So it was always going to be a, 
a bunch sort of kick to go up the climb and then um and yeah probably you'd break up into probably two or three groups at least um so yeah you just preempt that it's going to happen and try and save as much energy on that last lap as you can to be ready for for when that jump does happen and uh and go with it as best you can uh unfortunately the guys that have two legs even though we're, we're in the same category and the classifications are all sort of sorted that way they've got a lot more power when it comes to a, a hill sprint like that so you just in my case i just do what i can grab whatever wheel i can to, to follow and and hope that they kick up the hill and then button off the power and give us a chance to catch back up and then it comes back down to a sprint again so um, yeah. yeah again you can't stress because it for the most part you can't change what's going to happen um you've only got as much energy as you've got and as much power have you got and um do your best with it yeah and do you knowing that the climb is approaching do you do you try and get ahead or get closer to the to the front of the pack that's what i did uh for, for this race yeah i got to the very front uh, that way it gives you the best chance to obviously a see when it's going to to, to happen the, the the jump or the you know the sprint we're going to call it um but also give you position as far as maybe slowing some of the guys behind you up a little bit and also being as far up as you can when you know you're probably going to get past um so yeah i did the best positioning i think i could have but either way they they all went straight around me so um well, it is just where it was, but it was. Um, and yeah, get to the top and just do what you can to, to catch back up again. Exactly. Well, I'd love to um, I'd love to rewind a bit and go back to 2014, I guess, to the accident where I guess this part of your life began. If you could tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, we won't get into too much detail about the accident, but as far as it goes, I uh, went to work one morning with the... Uh, no intentions of, of not coming home. Um, unfortunately, I was driving a truck that was really poorly maintained. Um, so I came down a really steep hill and had no brakes. Um, from that point on, I think I had a, a minute, minute and a half of, of careering down the hill until I I crashed into um, pole and a brick wall and a few other things. Um, in the process, basically amputated my leg on the spot uh, the only thing that was really left was my main artery and the part of my kneecap uh, as well as broke my c2 vertebrae so the the vertebrae has a a top to it if you it sort of looks like a dummy if you look at it upside down um uh, so the dummy part is called the dens so i snapped the dens off um and yeah truck stuck in the truck for three hours until they cut me out and then straight to intensive care uh, or sorry straight to to surgery to do the amputation um and then i think i was in a coma for a day or two and then came out and started all the <laughs> the next part of it yeah rehab and the like well tell us about the re or even waking up and understanding what had happened and then getting into rehab uh well, i re remember waking up very briefly probably the next day i would have assumed um and my partner at the time was in front of me and I, I, so I had breathing tubes and everything, so I couldn't speak. I just could sign to her one or two because uh, I knew that I'd badly damaged my leg. Uh, I, I still have quite vivid memories of looking at my leg all very twisted and, and bent up in the truck. Um, so yeah, just signed to her one or two. Um, she signed back to me one and I think I sort of passed back out after that. Um, but yeah. 
that's the the only memory I really have before all the surgeries happened. Um, and then the next one was was waking up in the spinal unit and um, yeah, started the rehab sort of process from there. Really, what did that um, look like? Uh, well, in the very short term, I still hadn't uh, sorted out what was happening with my neck. So the first thing I had to decide once waking up was how I was going to do that. So the two options were to stay in traction, so laying down, um, but I had to wear a, a brace called a halo. Um, you want to look one up, they're horrifying. Um, yeah, so yeah, it sits, like sits over your shoulders and screws into your your forehead and the back of your head. Um, so you, you quite literally can't move your, your neck even a millimeter. Uh, so I wore it in for all intents and purposes loosely for probably an hour and it was probably the most scary hour of my life i i instantly knew i couldn't wear that for three months uh, so the other option was a surgery um inherent risks that come with a surgery as well so i sort of had to make a choice to to take the risk um and the risks were even though i wasn't walking at the time but essentially walking into a surgery with a functioning um lower half of your body and then potentially having the surgeons actually nick your spinal cord and do damage and potentially make you a, a paraplegic uh, or worse. Um, so that was the stuff I had to sign off on before going into that surgery was that I was okay with the fact that these risks were there. And um, yeah, at the time I, I couldn't do the three months in traction and in the halo. So I, I went for the, the surgery option. So that three months would have just been you laying down yep. in that. Wow. Basically unable to move, yeah. You, yeah. I probably could have sat up, but with you know, the help of people. Um, and, yeah, that wouldn't have helped my amputation, you know, my, my amputated side anyway, um, at all, because I wouldn't have you know, been weight-bearing through it. I wouldn't have been able to, to start wearing a prosthetic. Um, so there was lots of sort of negatives that would have come with that three-month traction as well. So um, I'm very glad that I went with the, the option I did. Um but also, also, I got out of it very lucky. I didn't have any complications. So, This next audio clip has been inserted. This was our conversation after we had concluded the episode. And with Darren's permission, he is happy for me to include this into the episode as we're talking about his surgery after the accident. The day before I had this surgery, I was actually scheduled to have my surgery done, um, but there was a, an accident that happened in Adelaide. So all um, all surgeries that were pre-planned got put on hold for the emergency ones. Um, and that night was my worst night I had in hospital. I, I quite honestly, I begged. So Karis is my wife. Um, I, I begged her to get a, a doctor or a nurse to come in and kill me. I quite literally said those words. I, I can't, like I couldn't hold on anymore. I couldn't bear to live any longer. Um, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't shit. I couldn't, I couldn't move for myself. Um, and I just gave up because I, I saw that surgery is like the only way of getting, getting, you know, through anything. And then they they delayed it. And it, it was only a day that I. It was like a, a day too long almost. Um, but luckily, I just pressed my 
um, ketamine, morphine button enough times that it put me to sleep and woke up the next day, went into the surgery um, and then woke up that evening and yeah, I could sit up in bed and everything from that point changed as far as my outlook on on getting better. Um, yeah. I never really looked back on on the fact that I I gave up at one point. Um, I still remember it, of course, but but yeah, it's pretty pretty full on what what that surgery did to to changing me. That's for sure. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and I know that's that stuff that I probably should share more often, but it it's just bloody hard to convey the right way. Um, and I, I have no issue in showing emotion to people. Like I think it's extremely powerful, but um, yeah. And so after you came out of that surgery, how long before, I guess, you're up and about rehab? So I, uh, I was only a couple of weeks. Well, I was not even in two weeks, I think, in the spinal unit and intensive care, and then another almost two weeks in a rehab hospital. Um, but essentially, I, I kind of just got moving. Uh, so I had a... I had my amputated side of my right, but also broke my left leg in the accident as well. So I had a, a moon boot on for the first uh, two or three weeks, at least, I think. Um, so I was kind of not getting around even when I knew I kind of could get around after having the surgery and, and being able to move my, my neck and sit up and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think I walked again for the first time in October, um, which is probably a lot further down the track than... I probably should have been, but another thing that happened on my amputated side is I had a really bad laceration on, I guess, the, my quad. Um, so that took ages to heal because I actually had to have a skin graft. Um, got photos of all these things if you're interested to look at all, but, um, yeah, but they're pretty gruesome. Um, it's pretty gruesome looking. So, um, but yeah, first walked again in October, which I guess – isn't that slow, but also probably wasn't as fast as I would have liked. Um, and in the interim, we just did as much sort of weights in the gym as we could for, for rehab. So just getting my arms and, and everything sort of functioning as, as best we can again, trying to not lose too much muscle um, and started to build my, my core and other bits up, which I was going to need for walking again. So, And what do you remember of getting on back on the bike for the first time? Uh, I've got a video of the first time I ever rode, actually. So I, yeah? Yeah, so I rode up and down my street uh, in November. So that was, I think that was pretty quick considering I'd you know, barely gotten the leg um, and, yeah, just kind of had to get approval from my doctors and prosthetists to sort of go, well, you look like you're, you're handling the leg okay, um, hop on a bike again. But, yeah, I, the smiles kind of tells you everything, I think. I just <laughs> That's brilliant. I, yeah, I probably only go 200 metres before coming back and clipping out and, and yeah, looking at Karis. But, um, but, yeah, it was pretty incredible to to know that it could happen so easily, I suppose. I could get back into the thing I loved so quick and without essentially too much sort of drama. Yeah. Well, tell us about your first competition in 2015. Uh, that didn't go as well as I would have <laughs> liked, that's for sure. So I, I was riding with a prosthetic at that point. Uh, and didn't really understand too much about para sport 
I think naively, like a lot of people are, they they probably assume that it's not as hard as it may you know, look or seem, but I think that's professional sport in general. Um, so yeah, I had a very naive outlook that I'd hop on a bike and in a couple of months I'd be you know, riding okay. Uh, yeah, I lost by 50 minutes for my first race and then two weeks later, a week later, I lost by 42. Um, and yeah, promptly decided it wasn't for me and I quit. <laughs> short-lived career. Extremely short-lived, yeah, two weeks. Enter Loz Shaw. Yeah. So, <laughs> what changes did he make to, to your training <clears throat> and uh, life? He, I still will never really understand what he saw in me or why he thought that I was going to be uh, anything worth sort of helping out at all. But we we crossed paths at a, a classification meeting. So I went to the velodrome here in Adelaide to um, yeah just go through another, yeah, sorry, in the start of classification for, for any para sport, you have to be assessed multiple times. So I had my, my second assessment. Not that I really thought I was going to keep riding, but I went to one anyway. Um, and yeah, cross paths with him, and he sort of said, "You know, saw your race, but then also haven't seen you since. What happened?" Um, and I, you know, politely said that I did terrible and didn't really think it was for me, um, without looking like a quitter. Uh, and he said, "Well, I reckon you've got a lot more in you. You know, would you be interested in um, me writing a, a training program for you?" But the, the one clause is I want you to do a test, one with a prosthetic, one without it. Uh, whatever you come out of being faster with, um, that's how I want you to race from now on. So that was extremely daunting to, to have only ridden with a prosthetic to begin with and then know how hard it was to ride with just one leg from um, when I used to previously teach people in a, a spin class. We had to do a minute worth of one-legged pedaling as a warm-up and I could barely do one minute smoothly. So it scared the hell out of me that I was going to try and do everything with one leg. Um, but yeah, long story short. So he tells me as I went faster with the, without the prosthetic and the rest is kind of history. We just started training from there as a one-legger. What do you remember of, of that time trial, going with prosthetic and then without? Uh, I've never asked for the time, so I don't even know what happened in it. I, I just... I just took his his word for it, believed him that, um, that yeah, what he said was was true. I went faster without it. Um, I think all I needed was someone to back me uh, as far as my you know, my mental state went at that point in time. I didn't care to ask questions. I just I just wanted that encouragement, that person to believe in me. I think so. I uh, yeah, I've never once questioned what happened, and I don't think I ever need to or will. Yeah, exactly. Can you tell us, is there something about the balance of the bike with one leg? Are there any special considerations that need to be taken with with the bike? Uh, not not as far as I'm concerned, though. Like the the adaption that I have on my bike is essentially a, a socket that I would use for walking, but without a leg attached to the bottom of it. Uh, so instead, we've, we've got a bracket that attaches to the seat post of the bike and then goes on to the back side of this uh, this socket. So my my stump sits in that, and I use that to to stabilize as well as lever against. Um, but the rest of the bike is just a bike, and um, there's plenty of guys that ride with one leg that don't have a support at all. It's it's just a matter of being sort of strong through your shoulders, through your core, through your back, um, and also through your leg. But um, but yeah, yeah, the balance side of things for me never really came into it too much. Yeah. 
you compete in the time trial and the 3k pursuit tell us the the difference and why you chose those two Uh, they chose me to be honest i don't think i chose them um in initially i was going to try and do the kilo actually uh, because i had a bmx background laws i thought that i'd be better off at the sprinting side of things but uh with one leg it's it's really tough to have a, a fast enough opening lap um and then you know still do the the other three quite quick so in the end my first nationals on the track i went there to ride the kilo I think I rode like one minute 20, which is nine, 10 seconds off of what the, the world record is these days. Um, and then I wasn't very impressed with that time, that's for sure. So we decided we'd have a go at the IP, which is a three kilometer race. Um, and for all intents and purposes, I actually did pretty well. I think I rode a, a 412 or something like that, um, which again is, is nothing compared to what I do now. It's 40 seconds slower. But um, but for someone that didn't train for it, we were pretty impressed. Well, Loza was pretty impressed that I sort of held held my pace fairly well and we kind of decided we'd, we'd start building a bit more towards the IP than the kilo. And um, and then road time trial just kind of came off of the back of that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know why I prefer road time trial other than the, the longer time on the bike gives me a chance to use my bike skill to – to make a mistake and, and have time to fix it. Um, so it's a bit less stressful. Plus it's also a lot more of a mind game. Um, the longer race means you, you really have to trust yourself, trust your, your training, trust your, your race plan. Um, yeah. And, and also you work through a lot more pain than the, the three and a half minutes versus a, a half an hour race would, would give. So long answer, but yeah. Not at all. And it seems like you're really good <laughs> riding through pain i've seen some clips of you uh threshold mm. training it looks awful <laughs> yeah tell us about it's... your training what does it look like uh when we're in a roadblock so i feel i do both track and road we kind of do essentially have blocks for the year where we do one or the other uh, we don't generally cross over too much but a roadblock would be upwards of 25 hours of riding and probably 500 k's in a week and then uh, two gym sessions and you know, your, your typical recovery stuff in there as well. Whereas a track uh, wouldn't be quite as many hours on the bike, but probably longer training sessions because the the way a track session works, it tends to take a lot longer to do the work, uh, bigger rest periods and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, less kilometers as well for the, the track block, but more intensive gym and power work. So it's, it's all very different um, block to block, which is kind of nice. keeps things a bit fresher. Yeah, absolutely. And tell us what do your gym sessions look like? I know you said they're a bit different depending on what the focus is, yeah. but um, you also mentioned before, you know, a lot of core strength. So what do your gym sessions look like? Uh, right. Well, for example, uh, this morning I had my, my typical Monday. So I start out with uh, five minutes of skipping just as a warm-up. Um, and go into a belt squat, which is essentially just my way of doing a um, a, a normal squat. But to, rather than doing it with, I either do it with, yeah, instead of holding a bar, yeah. I, I either wear a weight vest and, and hold a, a disc like a plate, or I do it with the belt. Um, the belt just kind of 
keeps me a lot more sort of stable, I suppose. Um, and that to a split squat in a Smith machine, which essentially kind of the same movement, but I've just got the support of my prosthetic there instead of no prosthetic, like the, the belt. Oh, okay. um, so, yeah, so they're all essentially one-legged squats or um, presses or whatever it may be, but sometimes I get to use the prosthetic for, for balance anyway. Um, and I did an arabesque. Um, a lat pull down or a bench pull sort of um, like chest movement, something else for my hip flexor, two different ways, uh, one with a, a cable, one without. Um, and then dragon flags is what they're called, but they're like a, a lever. So you, I hold on to like a bar or something behind me um, and hinge from like pretty much my butt lift your legs and, and hold the torso up and then lower your your body as flat oh, as yes. you can. Yep. Um so you you don't touch anything more than your your ass on the ground and the whole idea is to, to keep your legs straight, your your core all straight. Core, uh, sorry yeah. not your ass, your um your shoulders. So yep. you you you, yep. you lever from your shoulders um and don't want to touch your your butt on the ground essentially, but get as low as you can, hold for as long as you can and then come back out without bending through the hips or, or through the core. So it's, that's probably the toughest one I do core-wise, yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> How many of those are you doing? Uh, three sets of six or eight, um, but it's like a three-second hold as well. So, yeah, wow. Um, which is it's a good one. Look it <laughs> up. It's a good one. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It looks yes. a lot easier than it is. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. They always do. <laughs> yeah, especially core stuff. Yeah. Take us back for a second. When you changed or when Loz started training you, what was your transition from the training you were doing at the time compared to what he started to get you to do? I, completely and utterly different. I, I, <laughs> I thought I was training enough for a good amount when I first started out, but I'd, I had no idea. Um, and that's probably based off of how I used to train for BMX as well. It wasn't that intensive a, a sort of program I set for myself. I didn't have a coach back then, of course. But, um, yeah, when I first got a, a program from Loz, I'd, I could have sworn he sent me someone else's. It um, it, was, it was a month You're like, straight. are you sure? Yeah. yeah <laughs> you, you check this? <laughs> yeah. You, you sure you want me to do a three-hour ride and then the next day do another three-hour ride and then the next day do, you know, two hours in a gym session and the next day do, it just it blew my mind that, that's what I was going to need to do to to start, let alone you know, be successful. But um, it it was yeah very good to to get someone to write something that I knew, you know, he knew what he was doing. Um, and if, if that's what he said I needed to do, then I I just trusted it and did the best I could. Um, it was yeah, it's bloody tough, that's for sure. But I was going to say, do you remember uh, how you felt after that first week? I think I probably wanted to quit, to be honest, because. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know if I can do this. Um, yeah. I really didn't trust that that I was going to be capable of of half the stuff he set, let alone trying to you know, do it and only use one leg when it came to racing. That was something we didn't even touch on for the first uh, nearly two years. I still trained with a prosthetic, but raced without. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of things have, have sort of come and gone in the years and changed over, over the years. So it's it's been quite an interesting journey. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about 
the recovery because it sounds like there's a lot of training. What do you do for recovery? Sleep. Eat. Yeah, all it's the, a good one. It's very things. important. Yeah. Um, I probably don't do as much um, stretching and foam rolling as I should. Um, that's something I do need to work on getting back into a lot more. Uh, but otherwise, just relaxing where you can. You know, I, when we get the chance, we, we obviously have physio and, and um, massage and stuff like that. But, but on a daily sort of training basis anyway, it'll just be a get home, have a nice hot shower, um, use compression, chill out on the couch and eat well, sleep as best you can and, and do it all again tomorrow. Do it all again. <laughs> you train your body physically, but how do you train your mind? I've never really focused on it all that much. Um, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm starting to maybe struggle a little bit in the, the mental side of things uh, more than I ever used to. I think that's just kind of the years getting on top of me a little bit. Um, plus the, the, the guys that I'm racing are starting to get a lot stronger and, and becoming you know a lot lot harder to compete against. So I think that that for the time being is actually maybe negatively playing on my mind a bit. Um, but yeah, in those first few years, I just I just worked bloody hard, and it it, it was my way of getting through the crap that was going on behind the scenes, which was like a lot of court case uh, stuff going on, which was, you know, for four years of, of my first um, yeah, four or five after the accident. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I never focused on training my mind. I just, I just worked hard to put the crappy stuff that was happening behind the scenes behind me and um, hurt myself on the bike and, Went to races and just believed that I was going to, you know, at least one day make it um, and just kept fighting until I did. And you have. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> it's one of those things. I'd, the first time, like I I remember my first race that I won at international level. Um, and the, the reason it stands out, obviously, other than being my first win, was the, the way that my competitors actually approached me after it. Um, because I beat a guy that pretty much was on the top and wasn't being beaten by anyone for a couple of years. Um, a lot of the guys came up to me after the race and just went, mate, we're happy, but we're also kind of pissed off at you because, you know, there was a bit of conjecture about the classification of this one rider. And they said, you know, we've all been whinging about um, about Tristan, but that you're a you're a one-legger. You're in the middle of the C2 classification and you just beat him by 20 seconds. So a, a bit more. Um, yeah, all of us don't have any excuses anymore. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you know. Um, oh, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I made some lifelong friends out of it as well because we, we both had a laugh or all of us had a laugh at it. Um, and, yeah, I think that I got respect um, for, for doing something that, people didn't think was possible and uh, I'll never forget that feeling that's for sure when you when you struggle mentally because of you know what you just said in terms of there are faster guys coming around now do you mm. not look back at that time and that moment and doesn't that reassure you it it does but I'm 
oh, the, the classification is so different now or my class is so different now. It, once upon a time, it, it probably wasn't that tough to make a top five. Um, there was, you know, probably two or three guys that were really quick and the step down from that was was fairly large, whereas now it's, it's, it's not. And, you know, just this world champs gone, we didn't have all the guys there actually. So, you know, I think top, five was about a minute or so different which is still a bit of a gap i suppose but um well even back in 2018 i think there was 16 seconds between the top four or top five at world champs so um i don't know it's just getting tougher and i know i'm getting older um so i i just i guess i wonder or worry that um yeah have i got the best out of myself um i don't know it's it's one I need to work on. That's that's why I sort of said that it's not something I completely understand why it's happening, but I, I need to get on top of and start thinking positively again and, and start um, riding the bike like I'm, I'm that same person in you know, 2018, 2019. Yeah. What's changed with the classification? You said things are a bit different? It's just faster. Okay. Technology's right. gotten okay. better. The, the guards have gotten stronger. Um the expectation of, of what you need to do to win, everyone understands it a lot more. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'd like to think that I've changed a lot of that. Like when I you know, first beat Tristan and then that was in 2017 to then, 2017, 2018, sorry, um, to then move on to 2019 where I won my two world championships and, and broke a world record. You know, we, we went from... Yeah, the the three k on the track was a three minutes forty, uh, and then I made a six and a half second jump and took it down to a three thirty three, and the same on the road. We we never used to go forty four k an hour in a time trial until I did that and won my first world championship, and then everyone sort of woke up and went, "All right, that's that's the new standard." Time um, to get faster. Yeah, and they have, and, then- and it's it's just trying to find my next step is 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 really difficult because you know we pushed so hard for five or six years there um got a lot of big gains and you know saw the incremental stuff even in those later years that um yeah trying to find that extra edge now is is bloody tough um and i need to i need to find another level again to be able to compete with these guys so it's uh yes i guess that's uh the part of it that is probably in my the back of my head at the moment is I've worked so hard previously. We made all those gains and now I, I somehow need to dig even deeper and find more and, and become better again. Um, yeah, I just. It's the next challenge. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Can you tell us just briefly the, the C2 category? Uh, it's very hard to explain. Is um, that okay? As in what? What impairments would be what? Yeah, um, it's because it's of, it's not all it's not straightforward, is it? It's, it's not, not all, everyone no. with one leg. It's no, no. Yeah. So you so you can be a multitude of things. Um, yeah, there's, there's you know cerebral palsy is one of the the, the bigger um, impairments within the category, and then there's quite a few guys that are um, yeah amputees like myself. But the the way it all works is essentially a point system. Um, so whatever your impairment is will come with a, a point system attached to it or a, a point score attached to it. Um, and, yeah, I don't know the the point 
number or anything like that. But as far as it goes, um, yeah, C1 is the most impaired category. A C5 is the least impaired. A certain amount of points you have will, will put you lower into the um, into the categories. So uh, a C2 with an amputation is essentially right in the middle of the class. And then there's guys either side with, yeah, a multitude of different impairments. So very hard to to know who should be where and what should be what. You just got to trust that the classifiers do their job and yeah. line up and race. Yeah. And then you do yours. Well, that's the only option. Yeah. You said in a video for the Tokyo Paralympics that if it weren't for the accident, you wouldn't be half the person you are now. What yeah. have you learnt about yourself in this time? Um, just that I, I guess when I was growing up and then even you know, starting to, to work and stuff like that, I always felt like I was a bit of a pushover. Um, I was never one that you know liked to fight or anything like that. I was never one that felt like I was popular in school. So I kind of just faded into the background a bit, um, or at least that's how I felt like I, I sort of was anyway. Um, and where, yeah, I, I kind of just, I guess I probably didn't think much of myself. It's probably the, the harsh reality of it. Um, and then after the accident, I'm not sure why, but I, I started to, to enjoy proving people wrong. And I think that started to make me believe that maybe I had a little bit more, you know, personality behind me or, you know, I, I had something else I could give to, to the world, um, and I would, yeah, as a para-athlete, you get all the inspirational stuff all the time um, from people that I don't buy into too much. I don't believe that I'm a very big inspiration, but at the you know on the same sort of side of things, I do believe that I can show people that you know you don't need to give up when something bad happens. So I guess if if that's how they see the inspiration side of it, then I'm I'm happy for it. But otherwise, um, yeah, I just. I wanted to prove I wasn't the quitter, that um, that I was mentally and physically tough and that, yeah, somehow I'd like to leave my mark on the world and I feel like that's sort of what cycling is, has been able to give me after the accident, which is pretty lucky. And do you feel like you've left that mark or you've still got more to give? I'm not sure about in the cycling world. I feel like... Um, I feel like I have when it, if people were to look at the progression of, of the class and, and sort of who, who won for a period of time there. But um, unfortunately, in my head anyway, I feel like COVID's kind of robbed me of, uh, of a few years there of being right at the top. Because um, obviously 2019 was when I had my, my two world championships and world record. Um, 2020 was the last time we raced, which was in February for the track world champs. And I had a really bad crash um, in December. Didn't ride very well at that World Champs. Um, and for some reason, my, my world record never actually got ratified from December 2019. So the guy that won um, the 2020 World Champs actually got the world record, but was three seconds slower than me. So I think if I hadn't have had that crash in 2019, I think I would probably had a really good chance of A, winning another world championship in 2020, as well as be getting the world record I deserved to have in the history books. Um, and then, yeah, COVID happened and we, we didn't get world cups. We didn't get world champs. So I lost a couple of years there where I feel like I, I probably would have been at the very, very pointy end of, of the time trial and the, 
the IP. Um, so I don't know. I Paralympics is still incredible, and I feel like I'll you know, my mark on cycling is is there forever in that uh, capacity. But maybe after cycling is where I might have a bigger impact. I think or hope. Absolutely. Mm. Sorry, long answers again. I'm I get carried away. But, um, That's kind of the point. It wouldn't be much of a podcast if it was just mm, like yes or no. Yeah, <laughs> it could be very uh, short. Yeah. Looking back over your career so far, what has been the most challenging moment? Um, challenging moment. I don't know. I feel like the whole sort of going to one leg rather than riding with a prosthetic was was challenging, but also kind of happened in a fairly good way with with the support from Loza. Um, I don't know there's no real one point. I don't think actually it's just been a progression that you kind of have to accept is going to take a long time. Um, you know we're you're still riding against world-class athletes. Um, you can't expect to be the best in the, the first year or two or three. Um, you know, I was very lucky to to get a couple of silvers on my first Road World Championships, which was essentially um, a, year, a year, year and a half after after starting, um, but also then took me another two years to, to, to get that first win as well. So um, you kind of... That gives an idea of the progression. I was world number two, and then it took me two years to to make any kind of impact and, and move up the podium. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is a, a singular point that, that has been, yeah, that one for me anyway. Tell us about the crash. The car crash or Come, the... No, sorry, coming oh, into sorry. 2020. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, I was out for a recovery ride on, I think it was Boxing Day, actually. Um, so I went out to my parents' place. I live in sort of the hills of Adelaide. Um, and, yeah, just came down a hill that I've ridden a couple of times before, but just not sure. I must have been in a in a speedy mood, decided I'd, I'd come down a bit too fast, um, hit a bump in the road, bounced my rear wheel off the, the road, so trying to break coming down that hill and obviously lost traction and just basically lost control. Um, was going too fast, hit a guardrail, did a front flip, landed on my ass on the other side of it and uh, I fractured my sacrum, so bone just below your coccyx, um, severely bruised my um, amputated side as well as um, my sound side. Somehow didn't do any other damage, which is incredible considering how much you know susceptible my neck is to anything these days. Um, same with my back, it's not incredible either. So to only do a fracture to the sacrum was pretty incredible um, and very lucky, but it still put me out for nearly a month of, of any sort of decent training that, that actually put pressure through my my leg, my back and, and my my hips or my, my butt. Yeah, so, you were um, sitting yeah. down, that would be... Anything, yeah, yeah. especially accelerating uh, yeah. Yeah, out of a gate for, for the 3K on the track was that's the hardest I accelerate in any race um, across the board. So, so yeah, I rode, I rode actually quite good considering I rode a 339 and what won it was a 336. So it was only three seconds off of the, the pace, even with a very 
impacted um, prep, which is why I, I sort of said what I said earlier, whereas I feel that, yeah, 2020, 2021, I think would have been my years to, to really make an impact and, you know, put my name in the history books. But uh, I, I lost it, unfortunately, to A, an injury and, and B, COVID affecting us the way it did. So, Well, on the flip side, what has been the most proudest moment? It has to be the Paralympic Games, that's for sure. Um, just being able to sort of give an interview and, and talk to everyone at home and, and tell them how much I, I appreciated all their support, um, you know, from 2014 all the way through to 2021. And just being able to sort of say that, you know, the reason why I worked so hard was to, to show that their support meant the world to me and that... Um, you know, I knew that I'd probably been someone that really ignored a lot was a lot of what was going on around me. I was I was very I was so focused on on that one goal that I let life probably slip away from me a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, that 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 effort and that time was worthwhile. And um, you know, essentially, I was sorry for for burying myself in in cycling the way I did, but. You know, this is why I did it because I believed that I was capable of, of beating the world. You have said that your goal was the gold at Tokyo Paralympics. So now that you've achieved that, what is mm. it now? I'd love to back it up. That That's the end goal, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I that's what I have to work out, if I'm honest. It, I didn't, as much as I wanted it, I didn't believe that I was going to to get that, uh, you know, that goal ticked off in my first Paralympic game. So I, for the most part, I believed I'd probably have to go to a couple to to get the opportunity to to fulfil that dream. So I really don't know. I, you know, I've got a couple of world championships. I'd definitely love to get some some more under my belt, but also have broken a world record. I do have you know, two medals from Paralympic Games. I don't feel like there's anything more that I I can want um, other than to continue being the best as long as I can, or yes. being up up with the best. I, I, yeah, so, no, would I you mean, say uh, you're content, or there's still more? I would. I think I would be if I was to. I don't want to retire by any means, but if I was to retire, I feel like I would be content. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What's next? You said October is the Paris. So we have the yeah, Track World Championships in Paris, yeah. which will be on the uh, the Paralympic Velodrome for twenty twenty four Paralympic Games. So it'd be really good to to get to France and actually get to to ride that track. Um, as silly as it sounds, but a two hundred fifty meter oval wooden track is extremely different everywhere you go. So. Um, it's good to get the knowledge of how the track rides um, and then we can start planning towards yeah 2024 Paralympics and do our best to, to qualify and, and make the team and then yeah hopefully get to go back and, and race on the big stage again with a, a crowd this time. Yeah, amazing. And for someone who's completely ignorant to <laughs> velodromes and tracks, what do you mean by they're all, all a bit different? Right. Uh, very, very hard to explain because they, <laughs> they're all made out of wood. They all are 200 <laughs> yeah, exactly. meters long, but, but essentially the bends can be 
shallower or um, or narrower, um, sorry, wider, shallower, yeah. Uh, the straits can be shorter or longer. The the steepness of the actual hills, uh, of the banking of the, the corners themselves can be uh, more or less. The Some of our races, we actually need to ride at the very top of the, the track along the fence. So the transition from the corner to the straight to the corner again can be either very mellow or very steep. Um, there, there's not one set design for a, a velodrome. It's basically whatever the, the designer of that track decided to make it or what the, um, the, the place where they built it would allow really? as far as room goes. Yeah. So, so there's no standard, this is how it has to be? Just 250 metres. <sighs> Oh, wow. Mm. As far as I'm aware, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I might be naive and, and not knowing the full extent of, of the way <laughs> it's designed. Like, where but, do I got to ride? <laughs> yeah, up. well, you can't change it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, we, well, that's it. Yeah. Like, for example, so, the one in... Go on. Sorry, you're right. I was no, gonna, no, for example, the one, the one in Adelaide, we have a relatively uh, long straight and quite a medium when it comes to the the tightness of the corner but then when we went to tokyo for the paralympics um very long straights and very narrow corners so they were you have to lean into the corner a lot more to to hold your line and hold your speed um so that it changes that the way the scary year. no it's it's just difficult to work out how hard to push on a straight when the straight can change in length um, also how early or late to enter a corner so that you can hold as low a line as possible and then come out of it um, without going too high up the track but also not coming and staying too low. Like there's a, a real art to riding a, a velodrome well um, and, yeah, you have to learn the, the track every time you get to one. So it's just yeah. I, th I, think, I think it's really fun. Um, totally. Very interesting now I understand it. That yeah. There's so many intricacies to, to such a a standard or simple looking thing. Yeah. And so yeah, you really cool. go there with no idea how it's going to be, or do you kind of get enough, you know what it will be, but it's not until you get on there and experience that you yeah, know exactly how to that. attack it. Yeah. yeah. We, we won't know until we ride it. Um, yeah. Certain tracks, certain people and the way they want to ride the race. Um, for me, the velodrome in Brisbane is my favorite one. It's quite a long bend and a short straight and you're, you carry a lot more speed through a bend. Um, so, yeah, I find that a lot easier to, to ride that track, and that's the, the track where I I set what was once upon a time a world record on. Um, I just, for some reason, it just suits my my style of riding. But yet Tokyo was the complete flip side, and I, I still rode quite well there as well. So um, it's, it's very hard to explain what you do and don't like, but either way, you, you don't get a choice to to go to the track you like you got to ride what you <laughs> that's what it. you're given so yeah um, so did you know what paris is going to be like no idea not uh, sure the, okay. the able body team will go there uh, a couple of weeks before we will so it's kind of good we'll get some data and information from them and and come in with a little bit more information um but essentially you just hop on it and and suss it out and, and yeah. make a plan from there yeah brilliant Darren, this has been sensational. If people want to follow your journey, how can they do that? Uh, Instagram, I'm hixie37. Otherwise, just search Darren Hicks, I assume, and you'll you'll see the, the photos of cycling and cycling and more cycling. Um, <laughs> That's how you know you've got the right one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a couple of photos of guys on, on bikes there. Um, otherwise, the Australian cycling team or Oz Cycling, 
um, do a really good job of, of promoting our our journeys as well, um, or Paralympics Australia. Uh, both both of those channels will will give a, a fairly good insight into what's happening in well, Paralympics will be everything as well as um, yeah, also I think will be a lot more of us. But um, I don't really do the Facebook thing anymore too much. I do have a uh, an athlete page, but I'd prefer to probably just do the Instagram stuff. Yeah, um, I'm I'm with you there. I'm the same. <laughs> Facebook's died two, off. It's all Instagram. Two, yeah, and I've never been a Twitter guy, so um, so Instagram it is for me. Brilliant, Darren. I like to finish off these interviews with a question that can give uh, listeners and something actionable that they can do, um, okay. or. Uh, some advice to end off with. And my question to you is in terms of overcoming dark times, when we face something that we're, we're challenged with, what is your go-to strategy in that moment? Yes, I look at it in a, a very sporting way um, when I, I hear something like that. So I'd, I think I'd, you know, it's funny, yeah, it's my own advice I should probably be taking, but believe in yourself. Um, you know that, you know, the reason why I went into to Tokyo and, and was calm and collected was that I trusted my training. I knew that I'd done the work. Um, and then, you know, I still knew that what would be would be, but I couldn't have prepped any, any better than I had. So I think I just like telling people to work your butt off because it, it gives you the ability to believe in yourself and know that, um, yeah, whatever the outcome may be of what you're, you're trying to do, be it sporting or otherwise, um, if you've done everything in your power to be the best person you can be, at the end of the day, all you can be is proud of yourself. Yes. Well, that is the perfect way to finish off this episode. Mm -hmm. Darren, thank you so much for your time and all the best for Paris in October and also 2024 Paralympics. Do our best to make the team, that's for sure. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge until then. But um, no, thank you very much, Jackie, for having me. Uh, yeah, appreciate getting to tell a bit of my story. That was Darren Hicks. Make sure you follow him on his Instagram and support his journey to the 2022 UCI Paracycling Track World Championships. If you enjoyed this episode and know someone who would be inspired by Darren's story, please share it with them and be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram and let Darren know that you loved hearing his story. Thank you so much for listening today. I really want to acknowledge that there are a bazillion other podcasts out there, but you're listening to this one right now. So thank you. I appreciate you. Have the best day, week, month and year. And here is to a world of bodies built better. <laughs>